We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Thanks, John. Uh, we'll be back here uh, tonight. We'll be reading in uh, Psalms 33 and 34 tonight. Psalm 33. Rejoice in the Lord, O ye, right, o ye righteous, for praise from the upright is beautiful. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make melody to him with an instrument of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his work is done in truth. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. But the word of the Lord the heavens were made, I'm sorry, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the peoples of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people he has chosen as his own inheritance. The Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. From the place of his dwelling, he looks. On all the inhabitants of the earth, he fashions their hearts individually. He considers all their works. No king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a vain hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart shall rejoice in him, because we have trusted in his holy name. Let, you, let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us, just as we hope in you. Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. 
My soul shall make its boasts in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and delivered me from all my fears. They, they looked to him, and were radiant, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him, and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears, and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart, and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He guards all his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, but those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. The Lord redeem the soul of his servants, and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. We um, have now looked at a number of sections of my doctrinal statement, and for those who are watching online, I'd like to always clarify that uh, this is my personal doctrinal statement. If you'd like to view the church's doctrinal statement, you can find that on the, online on the website uh, or email us so we can get that to you. Uh, but uh, uh, broadly speaking, you know, what you find here is reflected in that doctrinal statement. Uh, I've expanded on some things because I have the liberty to do that and the space to do that. And so uh, you'll, you'll find some um, kind of expansion in certain areas here. Uh, as John noted, this is the last section in regard to looking at the triune God. We've looked at uh, the Godhead generally and the attributes of God. And then we looked at God the Father, God the Son last uh, time, and now this evening, God the Holy Spirit and uh, just a heads up, this will be our last section for a few weeks at least. Uh, Lord willing, next time we'll get back into a book of the Bible, which has yet to be decided, but uh, will be done very early this week. And uh, we'll get into that next week and do that for a little while, then maybe take a break, come back to this. Uh, I don't want to bore you guys too much with this. 
but it is also uh, you know, good just to get back into a book study as well. So that is the plan, Lord willing. But uh, this evening we'll look uh, here at the, the uh, Holy Spirit. I uh, want to give you just an outline of this section. Again, you can see it here on your page, also up on the PowerPoint. Um, and it already looks like I have a, a blunder with my slide. So unless I skipped... Oh, was it back there? Okay, there we go. All right, so here's the first, first uh, slide there. So uh, you'll find the subheadings uh, also on your sheet in front of you, beginning with simply the deity of the Holy Spirit, uh, then second, this Holy Spirit's ministry in the world. Uh, these are not inspired subheadings at all. Uh, really, you know, you could quibble with, you know, how exactly to subtitle them. And uh, who knows, maybe I'll change it down the road. But I tried to think categorically through how we can, uh, how the best uh, address these things. And this is what I came up with. Uh, thirdly, the Holy Spirit's ministry in the church age. Fourth, the Holy Spirit's ministry in the apostolic period or era. And then fifth, the Holy Spirit's ministry in the Old Testament. So uh, what you'll find is that uh, we're kind of looking at the very broad kind of aspect of the Holy Spirit at first. And then the world in general, various things that he's doing, not uh, just for believers, but in the world in general. And then what you find is that we're kind of uh, categorically working backward in, in, uh, in uh, kind of a t- the timeline of history, biblical history, first looking at uh, the church age, and then uh, that small period uh, at the early part of the church age, which is the apostolic period. Sorry about that. And then... Um, and then fourthly at the, or excuse me, fifthly at the Old Testament. And how do we think about the Spirit's ministry in the Old Testament with believers? Uh, often the question is asked, you know, did the Spirit indwell Old Testament saints? Uh, was that a permanent indwelling or uh, kind of on and off again? Uh, and uh, you'll see the case I make for uh, how I've come down on that here uh, a little bit later on this evening. So we begin this evening by considering simply the deity of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Orthodoxy, we have to say that God, the Spirit, uh, is God. He is fully God uh, in all of his personhood. He's not, just because we call him Spirit doesn't mean he's any less a divine person. Uh, You know, God is Spirit as well, right? so we don't, uh, we don't deny his personhood, that he's active and he has, you know, uh, all those kind of characteristics of personality that we talk about with the other two persons of the Godhead. So I begin here by stating, I believe that the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, is a divine person, co-equal with God the Father and God the Son. And there's a number of verses, we'll look at some of them here just now. 2 Samuel 23, 2, we find recorded, The Spirit of the Lord spoke by me, and his word was on my tongue. Um, So uh, really kind of a verse about prophecy here, but the idea at the beginning being the Spirit of the Lord. And I don't take that to mean the Spirit that was in the Lord, but the Spirit who is the Lord. and so we find here, here early on in, uh, in the Bible reference to the Holy Spirit. Uh, I didn't record it here. Uh, some use the verse back in Genesis about the Spirit hovering over the surface 
as a, uh, a proof that, you know, God the Spirit was there. Uh, I certainly believe that he is eternal and, uh, you know, from before creation. I haven't settled on whether that verse actually is talking about the Holy Spirit or not, so I haven't included that. You know, that's uh, to be discussed some other time, but uh, maybe you've heard that verse used before, or maybe that just comes to mind when you read it. Oh, yeah, that's the Holy Spirit, and that may very well be the case. Psalm 139.7, where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? Um, Again, I take this to be referring to the, the Holy Spirit. Um, and, uh, you know, there's some good truth in this verse as well outside of that, that uh, where can we flee from his presence? If you're rightly related to God, that, is, that should give you a lot of assurance and peace. Now, if you're not rightly related to God, perhaps that gives you some angst that there is nowhere you can flee from God. He sees you, he knows your heart, and, uh, and we ought to confess our sin. Acts 5, 3 and 4, but Peter said, Ananias, this is a really good verse in pertaining to uh, the idea that uh, the Holy Spirit is God. Uh, Peter says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? And so we remember this text, I think, you know, it wasn't that Ananias um, didn't give all of it. It was that he lied about what he gave. You know, he could have kept some of it for his own, and uh, I don't think that would have been necessarily wrong, but he lied about uh, how much uh, he had given. Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to who? To God. So here we see the Holy Spirit being equated with God. He is God. He, Peter doesn't just say again to the Holy Spirit. He could have said that. And I don't think that would have undercut, undercut the deity of the Holy Spirit either. But uh, we have really a clear uh, reference here to the fact that the Holy Spirit is understood to be God, like, uh, like the Father and the Son. 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you are the temple of God? and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Uh, and so uh, we uh, see here the Spirit of God dwells in you. If I'm remembering right, actually, this chapter 3, when it talks about the temple of God, pastor can correct me if I'm wrong here, this is in reference uh, to the church, whereas in chapter 6, it is specifically the, uh, the believer that uh, is said to be uh, and dwelt with the Spirit and to be the, the temple of God. And uh, so really, I probably should have the uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 6 verse up there as well, but uh, this is a good one as well, I think. Moving on then to the Holy Spirit's ministry in the world. I write, I believe that the Holy Spirit was active in the creation of the world. Here's where we could maybe include that Genesis passage, though I, I didn't there. The incarnation of Christ and is the agent of God's common grace, such that he actively restrains the evil one in the inherent 
anarchy, rebellion, disorder, and chaos of the unregenerate. So uh, kind of three things that are uh, emphasized here that he's active in. Number one, creation. Secondly, the incarnation. And thirdly, he is the agent uh, or the operative one in uh, the dispensing of God's common grace, and which is demonstrated in a number of ways, which we won't necessarily get into all of that this evening, though that would be a good, good discussion to have. So uh, number of, a couple of verses here, Job 33, 4, in reference to uh, the fact that he was active in creation. Uh, Job records, the Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Um, now, Job's talking about himself here, and so well, we might say, well, that's not really creation when we think about it in you know, the Genesis 1 creation account kind of way. But I think we can make the, uh, uh, the conclusion that if Job uh, says that the Spirit created him, well, then what's to say that the Spirit wasn't there helping in creation of you know, the earth, creation, uh, Adam and Eve? And so from the very beginning, uh, he was involved in the created order and specifically uh, man and, and, and woman, the first man and woman. So the Spirit of God has made me and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. We could really talk about, uh, you know, the spirit sustaining and maintaining work here too, right? He gives me life. Well, that life has to be sustained, right? And uh, God does that for us. Uh, he, he numbers our days and he sustains us to the end. Psalm 104, 29 and 30, you hide your face, they are troubled. You take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. You send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the earth. Again, uh, in spirit, part of uh, creation and sustaining, maintaining uh, since the beginning. Matthew 1.18, in regard to the fact that the spirit uh, was active in the incarnation of Christ, we talked about the incarnation last time in regard to uh, what that means for the second person of the Trinity. But the third person, the Holy Spirit, was also actively involved. And uh, we're well familiar with this verse, Matthew 1.18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. So, uh, you know, the, uh, the Virgin Mary conceived by the Holy Spirit... Um, that, uh, that was the miraculous conception, not uh, Mary's birth, but uh, the fact that the Spirit of God came upon her and uh, she conceived a child. Luke one thirty five. And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of of God. Wow. Amazing. The way in which God orchestrated all of that and uh, the Holy Spirit at work, even in the birth of the third person of the Trinity. You know, wrap your mind around all of, all of that. 2 Thessalonians 2, uh, 6 and 7 
this is in regard to the fact that uh, the God's Spirit is at work in, uh, in, as an agent of God's common grace, in that he, one of the things he's doing is actively restraining Satan, actively uh, restraining those who are you know, children of Satan, you know, the unregenerate, the unbeliever. Um, and uh, Paul writes here, And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Uh, and we know at one point uh, when the church is taken out uh, and removed, the rapture, that uh, also the Holy Spirit's active work will um, somewhat be removed at that point. We see then the lawlessness just increase into the tribulation. And uh, a part of the Spirit's work is to restrain that evil, and we have often say that the main mechanism or means by which he does that is through the presence of the church. And so uh, it is the Holy Spirit doing the restraining, ultimately, but it is really through the church and through the presence of believers that uh, evil doesn't just, you know, proliferate and just, you know, just go everywhere and out of control. Um, and uh, kind of a tangent, uh, I was watching, this is, you know, uh, kind of an ad right here. I was watching the, uh, the movie Essential Church the other evening, and uh, there was a section in that talking about how uh, when, there worked, when the churches uh, were not meeting, uh, how there was just a proliferation of evil and of depression and, you know, Satan at work trying to defeat people uh, mentally, physically, but also, you know, the, the, you know, the skyrocket in, you know, in murders and all kind of excess of evil going on uh, during some of those first months and year or two uh, when, when churches, some, many were meeting, but some were not. And in general, uh, you know, that was a, just a bad effect. In fact, uh, uh, John MacArthur was talking about how one of their first weeks meeting back um, the police department attended, and how they were begging for Grace Community Church to open back up because they saw the importance of it on society in regard to restraining evil. And so um, just amazing testimony from, from, generally speaking, an unbelieving kind of you know, uh, category of people in, in society who see the importance of, of the church. All right. Back to uh, where were we at here. Um, I go on to say in this uh, section on the Spirit's ministry in the world to say, I believe he convicts the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. We find that really exact language in John 16. We'll look at that in just a minute. <clears throat> I say, I believe the Holy Spirit was actively involved in prophetic revelation and the inspiration of the Old and New Testament scriptures. So we see in the Old Testament, uh, you know, uh, God's Spirit uh, used the prophets uh, to, to communicate God's Word, and, uh, and God's Spirit was active in that, uh, revealing to them the things that He wanted them to say. And then, of course, also in the inscripturation of, of God's revelation, the writing of it, God you know, superintending, uh, God's Spirit superintending so that, you know, holy man of God wrote as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. 
John uh, 16, 8 to 11, though, uh, in regard to this first point, says, and when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Um, generally, just uh, explaining that, I take that to mean that, you know, he comes, he convicts the world of sin, that is, in the life of the unbeliever, uh, you know, he, he uh, as we talked about kind of this morning, he appeals to the conscience through God's word, convicting them of sin. You know, the law of God is written on their hearts. Um, and of righteousness, not their own righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ and, uh, and his righteousness and the, and the fact that he can make us righteous, impute to us the righteousness of Christ. And then of judgment. Um, and I take that uh, mainly be, to be referring to the future judgment the judgment of all people, but uh, even particularly the judgment of sinners if they, uh, if they continue on in a state of unbelief. And uh, so that generally encapsulates the idea that uh, God's Spirit is working to, to move in people, to uh, bring them to, uh, to God, to uh, convict them of their sin so that uh, they recognize their need for Christ. And of course, then uh, if they do respond, if God is truly calling them, they will respond in faith. Um, let me just uh, begin again. It says, and when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. And so... Uh, you know, really, John goes on to write and explain what all of this means in more detail in verses, uh, uh, I guess that's nine or 10 and 11 there. Numbers, uh, this is moving on then to the fact that uh, not only does he convict of sins, righteousness, and judgment, but he is also um, at work uh, involved in prophetic revelation. Numbers 24, 2 and 3, And Balaam raised his eyes and saw Israel encamped according to their tribes, and the Spirit of God came upon him. Then he took up his oracle and said, The utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor, the utterance of the man whose eyes are opened. Very interesting passage here, you know, that God's Spirit comes upon an unbeliever, you know, someone that uh, has no regard really for the things of God, uh, doesn't like the nation of Israel, but... Uh, that doesn't keep the Spirit of God coming upon him. Uh, interesting to think about that God's Spirit can come upon someone who uh, isn't even a true born-again believer, not in the indwelling and regenerating and sanctifying kind of way, but in order to use him to further his purpose. Another example, and you know, maybe some argue about this or debate about it, it would be Saul. You know, God's Spirit came upon Saul I don't take him to actually have been a believer, but God used him, filled him, and, uh, and uh, used him to rule over the nation for a time until he was uh, replaced by King David. But uh, so in prophetic revelation, God's spirit works, even uh, using unbelievers at time to dispense of his, of his revelation and his word. 2 Samuel 23.2, the Spirit of the Lord spoke by me, and his word was on my tongue. Um, and so no prophet in the Old Testament you know, spoke by his own, 
If he did, then uh, we find in other passages that he wasn't a true prophet. Uh, you know, a true prophet spoke the words of God, as well as another way we can determine that it was a true prophet is if that uh, prophecy came to pass. And so uh, we see then that uh, true prophets were speaking by the Spirit of the Lord. Acts 4.25, who by the mouth of your uh, servant David have said, why did the nations rage and the people plot a vain, uh, plot vain things? I think we have to go back to verse 24 where it says, the Holy Spirit uh, who spoke by the mouth of your servant David has said, uh, and that would be, I uh, should have included that verse on there, but the idea being is, uh, yes, David spoke, but it was really the Holy Spirit behind that who was speaking through his servant David. Uh, in, uh, and uh, that is Psalm 2, if my memory uh, is correct, that uh, David uh, writes and is quoted here. 2 Peter 1, 19 and 21, in regard to uh, the Spirit's work of, of uh, inspiration, we find here it says, and so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns, and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man. It didn't originate in man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Uh, so really... You know, I think we could rightly deduce that this uh, really refers both to prophetic revelation, oral revelation, that is, you know, words that were spoken by prophets, and then some of which were written down for our, uh, in the Bible, which we have today. And so God was moving both uh, in those who orally gave his, prophet, his revelation and then those who uh, were writing it as well. Well, we move on then uh, this evening. Uh, actually, before I do that, I, I usually leave questions to the end, but maybe it would be better at this point to say, is there any questions uh, pertaining to that particular section or some clarification uh, that you guys would like this evening? All right. Holy Spirit's ministry in the church age. Uh, I hope that uh, particularly in this section you'll find some wonderful truths to think on in uh, regard to how God's Spirit is working in you, if you are a born-again believer. If not, then, uh, well, maybe uh, go back and consider the fact that uh, the Spirit of God is here today to convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And uh, think on that. Think of what God is trying to do in your life and uh, in, in showing you your need for, for salvation all right, I believe he, that is the Holy Spirit, Spirit bears witness to Jesus Christ and baptizes the repentant, believing sinner into the body of Christ at salvation. What I mean there in the first uh, phrase is that he bears witness to Jesus Christ, that is the testimony of Christ, the words of Christ, which we have now recorded in, in, in the Bible. Um, and so, you know, the word of Christ is the word that we find in the scriptures. Uh, it is the, uh, 
the expression of who he is and what he has done. John 15, 26, but when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me, or he will bear witness of me. He will, he will uh, declare who Christ is through the word of Christ, through his word. Um, you know, at the early part of the church, that was largely done through the preaching and teaching of the apostles. Now, today, we have that message recorded, and so we bear witness of Christ. The Spirit of God bears witness to Christ through the preaching and teaching of the Scriptures, and that's done uh, you know, secondarily through the teaching and preaching of the church and ministers of, of the gospel. 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 12 and 13, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body. So we're talking here about spiritual baptism, this baptism of the spirit, not uh, water baptism. That's uh, you know, another thing which we do uh, to, uh, you know, as a kind of declaration of our faith in Christ in a picture of our death and burial and resurrection, you know, from death to sin, alive in Christ. Uh, but here we're talking about spiritual baptism, baptism into the body of Christ, being united with Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. Uh, one body being not necessarily the local church, not Fellowship Bible Church, but the universal church, you know, all born-again believers in the church age. Uh, so beginning at Pentecost and, and, and to the present. I go on to say that uh, at the new birth, the Holy Spirit imparts spiritual life. Uh, we might say he regenerates, he gives life. Uh, illuminates, permanently indwells the believer and is the seal of divine ownership that guarantees the eternal salvation of the believer. So beginning with, uh, beginning at uh, salvation, he imparts spiritual life. That is what is necessary for spiritual life. Uh, he, he gives us the ability to believe. He gives us the faith to believe. He gives us new life. And uh, at that, uh, simultaneously, he also, you know, illuminates our minds um, so that we can understand the, the Word of God, the significance of the Word of God and its implications. He uh, indwells the believer, and uh, the Spirit is also uh, uh, the seal of divine ownership, that we belong to God. You know, no one can snatch me out of the Father's hand. And uh, that divine ownership uh, also then, in that him being the seal, the Holy Spirit, the seal, guarantees that we will be saved. You might think, wait, what, what do you mean by that? You know, we are saved. Well, yes, God has saved us. He is saving us in the sense of sanctification, but he will save us, meaning he will ensure that we persevere to the end and that we are fully redeemed, glorified. And, uh, you know, he's not going to 
He's not going to, you know, at the very last minute and say, you know what, actually, you know, Drew, I don't think you're going to make it in. No, God's Spirit uh, is that seal, that promise, uh, that uh, assurance that uh, we will be redeemed. Some verses then to, uh, of course, we want to back this, these kind of statements up with Scripture. So John 3.3 3 says, Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Born again, that is, given spiritual life, being born of the Spirit. And uh, so that is necessary for salvation. And that is a work of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6.11, and such were some of you. Uh, if we were to go back, we would see that uh, Paul is describing the kind of behaviors and conduct of the unbelievers, and he's saying, you were like this, and that we were, weren't we? Uh, like the unbeliever and uh, going the way of the world, but by God's grace, Paul writes, you were washed, cleansed. Uh, I take that washing to be uh, a kind of metaphorical uh, way of talking about the idea of giving, having been given spiritual life or regenerated. And there's another verse that we'll look at in Titus that makes that all the more clear. Uh, but Paul writes, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And so here, you know, that's why we kind of particularly say this is an activity of the Holy Spirit, a ministry of the Holy Spirit, uh, done in the name of the Lord Jesus and accomplished by the Spirit of our God. Titus 3.5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us, and here it is, through the washing of regeneration. So I take the washing that Paul talked about just there in 1 Corinthians to be referring to the same kind of activity that he references here, which is the washing of regeneration. And that's what regeneration is, right? It's giving you spiritual life, you know, from death to life, from sin uh, to being saved, sanctified, and uh, righteous in the eyes of, of God. And of course, he writes uh, not just through the washing of regeneration, but and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2.10, but God has revealed them to us through his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. 1 John 2.20, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. So here now, uh, these verses we're using to prove the fact that uh, God's Spirit illuminates the believer. I did a study on uh, the the work of illumination, the Spirit's work of illumination on a Saturday morning or a couple Saturday mornings, maybe it was a year or two ago now. And uh, the way I understand illumination is not necessarily that uh, illumination simply gives us the ability to, uh, you know, to uh, interpret Scripture because even the unbeliever can read Scripture and get to a general idea of what that passage means. Does he embrace the truth of that? No. And that's what the work of illumination does. It causes the believer not only to understand, but then to embrace it as the truth. Um, it doesn't guarantee that at salvation that he will understand all of Scripture 
or that uh, you know he will have knowledge of every kind or every portion of Scripture, but that when he does come to reading that or being taught that, he will naturally embrace it as the truth. Uh, and of course, you know, time requires then to go on for a believer to understand all of the application of that, as far as how we you know apply that to our lives. But the Spirit's work of illumination allows the believer to understand and embrace the Word of God as the truth. Uh, And so that's why John writes here that uh, you have the anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. Again, you know, I don't take John to be saying that uh, we have no need of ever reading Scripture again. You know, I got that down. You know, I read it once, we're good. No, but that... uh, that uh, on a very basic level, we know all things concerning the gospel of Christ. That, that's necessary for salvation, right? We need to understand what the gospel is. Uh, but also that we know what the truth is in a very general kind of way as we study Scripture. 1 John 2.27, But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true, and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in me. 1 Corinthians 2, 12-14, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things which have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak not in words which may which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Here it is, what we were just talking about a moment ago, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. Um, Notice he doesn't say the natural man does not understand, but he doesn't receive it. He doesn't embrace it. Uh, For they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Uh, whereas, in, you know, in contrast, the person who has the Spirit of God can understand, and he does embrace the Word of God as the truth because the Spirit of God has illuminated his mind, his heart. 1 Corinthians 3.16, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? And so we use this verse, uh, well, really we should use the 1 Corinthians 6 one to refer to the fact that God's Spirit permanently indwells the believer. I don't have it there. But uh, 2 Timothy 1.14, the good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. 2 Corinthians 1.22, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So we use this verse then uh, to... Uh, assure ourselves that the Spirit of God is that divine, or is that seal of divine ownership that guarantees the eternal salvation of the believer. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. It's very clear here. Uh, We can really just extract that statement right out to uh, 
build this, this doctrinal idea that he is the seal of, seal of divine ownership uh, and the guarantee of our inheritance of eternal life and all of the blessings that come with that. Ephesians 4.30, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. All right, we continue on here. We're still in the section on the Spirit's ministry in the church age. I, right here, I believe that I believe the Holy Spirit continues to minister in the life of the believer. So not only does he, uh, is he at work in salvation, but he continues to minister as he sanctifies, intercedes for, and helps the believer. And, uh, you know, these are wonderful verses for us to think on in regard to how the Spirit of God is active in our life today. Romans 8.13, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, you, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You know, how else can we uh, put to death sin but by the power of God's Spirit in us? Um, I think it's in Galatians, maybe chapter 5, you know, Paul talks about if you were saved by the Spirit, are you not also sanctified by the Spirit? You know, are you, are you now sanctified by works or by your own power? No, we are sanctified uh, by the Spirit. And we have the power through the Holy Spirit to put to death the deeds of the body. 2 Corinthians 3.18, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. That is uh, what we're to be about doing as believers, is to be seeking to be transformed into the image of God's Son, into His likeness, from, from glory to glory. I understand that to be, you know, from from one stage to the next, always being more and more transformed, always more and more sanctified, you know, by means of putting to death sin, putting that behind us, living for Christ, walking, you know, in the Spirit, doing the, uh, you know, exemplifying the fruit of the Spirit so that uh, each day we make uh, progress, you know, whatever, however small it may be, each day seeking to be more like Christ by the Spirit of God in us. Romans 8, 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And so I use this verse um, to uh, refer to the fact that he guides us. You know, we're led by the Spirit. He teaches us, counsels us through his word, through the word of God. Romans 8, 26, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And so uh, we see the Spirit of God helping us uh, in general, but even more specifically helping us in regard to when we pray. And I, I always find much comfort in this, in this verse, that uh, you know sometimes we just... We don't know what to say because we frankly don't know what God's will is. <laughs> and sometimes we just you know, don't even know what kind of action we should take or how we should pray. But we have this confidence that 
God's Spirit is helping us in our weaknesses. And uh, one way in which he does that is by conforming uh, our prayers into the will of God so that God's will is accomplished and uh, he is there interceding for us uh, with groanings which cannot be uttered. In other words, uh, one, I think, implication is that in ways we can't even understand, you know, because we, you know, we're not there in that kind of sense, you know, with the Spirit of God as he's making that intercession. You know, we can't even comprehend what that is like exactly, that kind of inner Trinitarian activity between the Spirit of God and, and God himself, the Father. John 14, 16, and 17 um, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Hmm. Amazing. God's Spirit uh, active in the believer, that he is the Spirit of truth. That's one title we could give to him. He's the Holy Spirit, that's what we often call him by, but he's also the Spirit of truth. And that spirit can only be known uh, uh, by those who uh, are indwelled by him. Others don't see him. They don't see his work uh, necessarily so. And uh, they don't know him because uh, they don't know the son. I believe he also distributes spiritual gifts to each believer through uh, which the members of of the church, local, uh, but also, you know, believers in general, universal church, serve one another and the world. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, and he, he himself gave some to be apostles, uh, that is the Spirit of God, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And uh, so here we see some of the, the gifts which he gives uh, for the church. Of course, uh, I understand the first two to be you know, gifts that aren't necessarily given today. There's not apostles today, not prophets in the, in the way that I understand that to be. Uh, but we still see you know, evangelists, pastors, teachers. And these gifts are given for what uh, purpose? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry. What is the work of ministry? Well, it's the making of disciples, evangelism. So that's how these spiritual gifts are in ministry to the world, you know, through uh, giving us, uh, equipping people to do that work of evangelism in the world, but then also, uh, in a more narrow sense, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So the work of the ministry that pertains to the church you know, uh, the people that you see ministering on a Sunday mornings, teaching Sunday school, or, you know, leading songs. Maybe you're the Barnabas, you're the encourager, you're the one that after service is, is uh, you know, coming along a, a brother who just needs some encouragement, or a sister, or you're providing a meal. You know, God variously gifts us uh, so that uh, there's, no, uh, there's no one that can say, I don't have a gift, and also, there's no, there's no really hole in the church. So that's, uh, you know, God gifts us variously so that we can do that work. And that's why we often, you know, like to say when you're not here, there is a hole. 
you know, the body isn't functioning like it should be. It's not uh, being edified as it should be because you're missing. And you have that gift that maybe someone else doesn't have. And so the work of the ministry isn't happening like it should be without you there. 1 Peter 4.10, as each one has received a gift, here's the command, minister it to one another. So not only can someone say, I don't have a gift, but if they have a gift, and they do, you need to be using it. Uh, and so, you know, get about doing that. There's often this kind of sense like, well, I don't really know what my gift is. You know, I'm trying to discern that. And I'm not saying that, I don't, don't take me saying that in a trade or kind of mocking way, but simply that, you know, they have a concern to serve, but they say, I don't, I don't really know what that looks like. I know pastor has said this before, and I'll say, just start serving somewhere. And you'll find that whether, you know, yeah, maybe I'm not well equipped for that, so I'll try something else. But at the very least, you're doing something, and you're seeking to obey this command in doing so by doing what uh, Peter writes here, and that you're to minister it to one another. Use it uh, for the edification of of the body of Christ, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Um, I go on to say, I believe that a believer full of the Spirit is to metaphorically describe an individual who is characterized by the quality of spirituality, and that believers are to be continually under the Holy Spirit's influence. Uh, this is kind of falls under the broader category of what does the filling of the Spirit mean, I wrote a kind of more extensive paper on this for one of my classes, but uh, so this is kind of a distillation of that, and that uh, often in the New Testament, in actually most cases, when it talks about someone being filled with the Spirit, uh, it either refers to a temporary filling for the purpose of some ministry, or it is used to refer to someone that is characterized as being a spiritual person. That is someone that is exemplifying God's spirit at work in them. Um, and then Ephesians 5.18, we're given this command, you know, to not be drunk with wine, but to be full of the spirit. And I take that to mean that we are to be continually influenced by God's spirit so that we are that person who is characterized as being a spiritual person. You know, what, what does it mean to be a spiritual person? Have you ever thought about that? means to be someone that has God's spirit in them. You know, what, what's the kind of root of that word spiritual? Spirit. So someone that has the spirit of God active in them, at work, influencing their life. Acts 6.3, Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of this Holy Spirit and wisdom. I understand that to mean somewhat the person, persons that are characterized as being spiritual people have wisdom whom we may appoint over this business. That's in reference to what we often call the, you know, the first deacons in the church. Acts 13.52, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Moving along here, we're running out of time. Ephesians 5.18, and do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Uh, are you filled with God's Spirit? Well, if you go on to read the, the rest of uh, that chapter, you'll find what that actually means. There's characterizations of one who is filled by God's Spirit. 
All right, so we're going to have to end here for the, uh, the evening. Uh, we've already gone just a few minutes past our normal ending time, but uh, we will pick up this next time as the Lord wills. But uh, think on that, if you would, this evening. I know there's a lot there to swallow, to think on, meditate on. But uh, if nothing else, think on this last uh, few verses we've talked about. Is, is God's Spirit influencing my life? Uh, and if not, how may I go about having that happen by submitting to uh, His leading and work in my life? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this evening. We thank You for Your Spirit. We've looked at a number of ways in which you have worked in the world to bring people to Christ, to uh, conviction of sin, and repentance and faith. And then, Lord, how you have, uh, your Spirit's been working in, uh, in the life of the church, in the church age. Lord, we thank you that your Spirit is at work in us, that, uh, Lord, you, you have given us your Spirit as a seal giving us that assurance that uh, you, you are, we are kept in your hand until uh, the day of redemption, and we anticipate that day. Lord, may you bless your people now as they go their way. Watch over them. We pray for uh, ones who uh, need your hand of healing or maybe your hand of encouragement. Maybe they are uh, downtrodden, and uh, may your spirit lift them up, their spirits, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.